Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This evening is our annual church uh, business meeting, our annual church congregational meeting. It starts at 6 p.m., and it's for everybody, not just church members. We will have a vote for next year's uh, elder list, the nominating committee, the members vote on. But we encourage everybody to come. We have a time for questions, uh, presentations. Uh, the staff all share a few words, and the committees, anything we have to report. Uh, you are welcome to come afterward. We'll have refreshments uh, in the commons, the fireside commons. So at 6 o'clock tonight, we usually keep it to an hour, and we have refreshments afterward. And again, we'll have time for questions. And so you uh, please come tonight and join us for this important meeting. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. Uh, someone told me there's a football game at the same time tonight. I guess I don't know how that happened. But anyway, uh, you know I'll record that. So anyway. Light and darkness. Um, what is light? What is darkness? Is darkness the absence of light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over. And God said, let there be light. Let there be light. What is light? One of those things like air that is so common, and you know we all know what light is, right? We all know what light is. We know what light is when it's dark and then it's light. When you study light, it's, it's, it's a bit overwhelming if you're not a physicist. Uh, you hear terms like electromagnetism. Quantum physics are involved. Discussion, is it a wave or is it a particle? Photons. It's pretty complicated, really. What is light? Sometimes I wonder, if you look up at the, uh, look up the stars at night, and I'm looking at the light from a star, and to think that what I'm looking at left that star hundreds of years ago, maybe, maybe more. Am I, is it even there anymore, right? I'm seeing the light, but is it even there anymore? Is it gone? I'm still seeing the light. We could talk to someone like Dr. Mohanneson, could explain to us how light interacts chemically with our eyes, and we're able to see. We only see a spectrum of light. We don't see a lot of the other light. I mean, it's just, it's pretty complex. It's pretty amazing. God just spoke and said, let there be light. And it was light. And light overcomes darkness. Darkness does not overcome light. Light always will overcome darkness. Today, as we continue our series in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Gospel of John, and we are considering the I am statements of our Lord. And today are, we're going to consider what we read from the scriptures this morning, that I am the light of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word and consider this this morning. This very, very important truth. Uh, a statement, yes, but the truth that our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of this world. And just as, Father, you spoke and created light in the darkness, 
Our Lord Jesus Christ came as light in the darkness to this world. And we are so privileged and fortunate today to have the freedom to come, to worship, to celebrate, to share this message, and to share together the light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, we invite you to share with us, continue as we continue to worship through your word today. Amen. John chapter 8, Gospel of John chapter 8 that we read from this morning. John chapter 8. And I want to give you a little bit of context. We actually are in this this section of John from John 7 to 9 uh, several times during this series. So this is an important uh, context I want to give you. And before we go to John 8, um, I'd like to go back to, to John chapter 7. If you remember our Lord Jesus Christ, his ministry was really based in Galilee, which is up north this morning in our Sunday school classes. We talked about the Samaritan woman and that, that area of Samaria, which is located between Galilee and Judea. And our Lord Jesus Christ spent the majority of his time, and in fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, everything involves the area of Galilee, the Decapolis, Syria, that area north almost to Lebanon today. And they, they only record Jesus in Jerusalem one time at the end. But the Gospel of John, we have Jesus three times in Jerusalem. We get a little bit different look at the Lord's life. And in chapter 7, it says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee purposely, staying away from Judea, because the Jewish leaders there, the Jews there, were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. These are his brothers. I believe these are his earthly brothers, one of whom was James. We, we encounter later on in Acts. And his brothers say to him, "You know, Go to Jerusalem. Show yourself. Let people know who you are. But it does give us a note, John says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. He had brothers and a sister, and they did not believe in him. In fact, at one point, they thought he was mad. They thought he was crazy. We see this in the Gospels. But Jesus says, the, right, the time is not right for me to go there. He says, you go. I'm not going right now. And I think uh, when he says here in verse um, 8, you go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, because for me the right time has not arrived. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. They went to the feast, evidently. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Well, did Jesus lie to them? I <laughs> uh, said, so I'm not going to the feast. You go. Well, what, he, what he's saying is, I'm not going to publicly display myself. You go. I'm not going to do this at this time. He did go, but he didn't go to publicly display himself. He went privately. He went quietly to Jerusalem for the feast. And this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in the Old Testament, we find in Leviticus chapter 23, the series of Jewish feast days throughout the year. We studied this in Sunday school last uh, spring. The last of the feast days for the year is would be coming up soon in October, and that would be Sukkoth, the Feast of Booths, 
slash tabernacles, because you'll see both used. You'll find this in Leviticus 23. And it was a time for the Jews to remember their time in Egypt. When they left Egypt, and they were pilgrims on the way to uh, the promised land, they had to live in tents, they had to live in shelters. And so to remember this and to recall this, they were told every year to celebrate for one week the Feast of Booths. When we were in Jerusalem, the first time as we were driving out, we happened to be there this time of year, as we were driving out, we could see on the tops of buildings around uh, from Jerusalem on our way out of town, shelters which Jews would still build today to go out and stay in uh, during the day as part of this uh, tradition and this ceremony is still practiced today. And it concludes actually it's more than a week because there's an eighth day, as is prescribed in Leviticus 23, there's an eighth day where it wraps up with the final day. Now what's interesting about this feast is you know, some of the feasts, the, the, the one before this, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is very solemn. We were there also, because they're, they're very close, we were there for Yom Kippur. And at the Wailing Wall in Yom Kippur, we were there and it was quiet. And people came and they prayed and they were quiet. They'd been fasting. The shofar horn uh, blew and they quietly left. A Passover it, it is, is somber, but a celebration. This day... This is the day that is a celebration. And in fact, the rabbi said, if somebody just referred to the festival, everybody knew it was Sukkot. It was the Feast of Booths because this was a celebration. I want to read to you just a little section from the Mishnah, which is the, this is the collection of Jewish traditions, culture, but teachings of the rabbis from the time of Christ, from the, what we call the Second Temple, the time of the New Testament about 200 years before and 200 years after. But while the temple stood, which it was only going to stand for another 30 to 40 years after the time that, that the Lord announces this, it talks about what takes place at, at, the, at the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, where you were supposed to come to Jerusalem, if you could, to celebrate this. And it says, They have said, this is in the Mishnah, They have said, He that never has seen the joy of Beth ha Shavah, which is this feast. They have never in their life seen joy. At the close of the first festival day of the feast, they went down to the court of the women where they made a great celebration. There were golden candlesticks with four golden bowls on the top of them and four ladders going up to the top of them to each candlestick and four youths of the priestly stock in their hands, jars of oil, several liters of, of oil. They had to go up these ladders and they poured it in all the bowls. They had made the wicks for the candlesticks. And when they set the candlesticks alight, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect the light of the Beth ha Shehuvah. You know, um, if, if you've been to Jerusalem, and I don't know you can see this picture too well, but the, the walls are, the, 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 it's limestone. And it was the same stone they used in, in the, for, for uh, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple, and the walls today. And when you go to Jerusalem today, if the, when the lights are off and they shine the lights, the, the city just reflects the light. It's the nature of the stone, uh, of uh, the wall. This is the old city wall in the citadel of David. It's just the nature of it. And it was the same then. And, and we know from the various teachings of the rabbis and so forth in history that 
This whole courtyard would be lit with these giant bowls of oil that were poured in there and lit up. And the whole area, it says, would reflect all around Jerusalem. It was a great festival of light and into the evening. And we think they probably did this every night throughout the festival. It was a great time of celebration. It was a time of light everywhere, of beauty. And it says that much of the, much of the men, men of piety and good works used to dance before them with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praises. Countless Levites played on harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, instruments of music up the 15 steps down from the court of the Israelites, the court of the women, corresponding to the 15 songs of ascents in the Psalms. And upon them the Levites used to stand with instruments of music to make melody. Then it goes in more detail how they came down step by step, reciting and singing. This was a time of dancing, celebration, singing, instruments, praise, noise, loudness into the night. It was a great festival. And it was known for these lights. Also, there was an important part of it had to do with the water sacrifice and water libation, which would connect with the message from this morning in Sunday school of Jesus uh, being, being the living water. This is the context that Jesus is in Jerusalem in chapter 7. And we see as he is there that verse 14 Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and he began to teach. And he begins to interact with the Pharisees and scribes and the challenge. Of course, he knew they were, they were trying, they wanted to kill him. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, he stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. That was the last day of this festival. And today in the synagogues, when they celebrate this last day, this is still a very festive, the last days of this of this uh, Feast of Booth uh, today, of Sukkoth. And on the last day, the eighth day, which is really the first day of the next week, on this day is when the Torah is finished being read for the year. As you read through it throughout the year, it's finished on this day. This is a great day of celebration. This is the context in chapter 7. And then we, and it, it appears that we're in the same context as Jesus, it appears like the next days comes into the Mount of Olives and we have this account of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And then in verse 12, which we read this morning, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said this, just after this huge festival that the city was lit up like gold from the lights for this entire week, that Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus boldly proclaims, I am, I am. M. And every time we see this I am, it is a reminder of, of the name of God, Yahweh. I am. We, we started this series by simply talking about that statement before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he meant by that. I am the light of the world. And for those 
Pharisees and scribes in that audience, they would not miss this connection with Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Darkness was upon the, 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 the earth. And God said, let there be light. And they associated light with the Messianic age that was to come. And in fact, interesting thing, take time to read Zechariah chapter 14. Of all the Jewish festivals, it's this festival that is listed at the end, that heralds in the coming of the Messianic kingdom where the Gentile nations will be coming to Jerusalem. It's to celebrate this festival. It's very important. I am the light of the world. We finished reading this passage this morning as our worship team read this passage. And of course, right away, this tremendous statement is deflected by the Pharisees and scribes who wanted to argue with, who, who are you to say this? What is your testimony? Who, who are you? Where do you come from? You have no right to say this. As we read this morning, we finished reading this passage, Jesus reminds them that in Jewish tradition, the witness of two can substantiate a truth. And he claims that the Father is the other witness. And that if they would open their eyes and open their ears and hear the, the, the word of God, they would see that there are two witnesses, the Father and the Son. But this theme, light, is a theme that we find throughout the Gospel of John. I hope you're reading through the Gospel of John. Sixteen times in John, there's some type of reference to light with Jesus and his ministry. In fact, at the very beginning, in chapter 1, as John begins this, this, uh, this Gospel, and he begins it so different from, the, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in John chapter, in, in John chapter 1, and in verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of humanity, the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This picture of black. Have you ever been? Have you ever been somewhere where it was really, really, really dark? The one time in my life I could say I was really in a place where it was completely dark. Was when we went cave exploring back when I was helping out the youth when I was in college, and Gary Bedoich took us on a field trip cave exploring, a splunking or splunking or something they call it, and uh, we we went in that cave and turned the lights off. And it's like I remember reminded that passage that says in Egypt when God brought darkness upon it was darkness that could be felt. The miracle about that is there was light over the Israelites in Goshen. How could there be light in Goshen in that section of Egypt and everywhere else so black it could be felt? That was a miracle. That was a miracle. The Bible says. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He shines in the darkness. But the darkness on its own, without the Holy Spirit, the darkness cannot understand it. Chapter 9, right after this account, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it's in the same context that we find this beautiful story of this man who was born blind. His world was dark. From the time of birth, his world was dark. 
And, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when he, as he went along, verse chapter 9, verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? He was born blind. They assumed he was blind because somebody sinned, which was a common, even theological understanding of the day. Neither this man nor his parents, but that's happened so the work of God might be displayed in the light. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. When no one can work, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he made that mud and spittle, put it in his eyes. And, and can you imagine? Can we ever appreciate this miracle of a man who since birth has been in blackness, all of a sudden seeing? How, what that must have been like? And then of course he becomes the, the object of a big discussion and debate among the religious leaders because Jesus has dared to do this. Light comes into the world. Chapter 3. We go back a few pages in chapter 3 in verse 19. We know verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that who believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world that men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Verse 21, whoever lives by the truth, the truth that comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that he has done has been, what he has done has been done through God. This theme of light throughout the Gospel of John, as you read through John, look for this. In chapter 12, finally, one last reference, chapter 12 of John, and John, the last major section of John, begins again in Jerusalem. Uh, and goes toward his crucifixion and resurrection. John 12 and 35, verse 35. Then Jesus, Jesus said to them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. He's, he's, he's talking to his, his disciples. The man who walks in the dark is not where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so you may become sons of light. Remember the prophecy when the Lord Jesus Christ was born and they appealed to the book of Isaiah. Behold, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus tells them the light, they don't understand this. I'm about to be taken from you and it's, and it's going to be dark. I am the light of the world. Fulfillment of prophecy from the book of Isaiah that the Messiah would bring light to the world. Jesus as light in darkness. A key biblical theme. God's presence in the Old Testament of overwhelming light that filled the temple so no one could even stand to be in there and they had to leave. They had to ask Moses to cover his face when he came out of God's presence because the Shekinah glory of God was so overwhelming and so bright it represented the presence of God. Let me ask you this. Jesus said, you will have the light just a little longer. When Jesus died, He rose again. He was taken to the Father in the ascension. The disciples saw it. They tell us about it. We read about it again in the book of Acts. What happens to the light? Jesus is the light of the world. He is not here. 
He was only here for 33 years. He was taken not long after the statement. You will, you will have the light just a little while, but then the darkness comes again. What happens to the light of the world? When Jesus began his public ministry, and he told his disciples this, you are the light of the world. They couldn't have possibly understood this. You are the light of the world. A city, a city that is lit on a hill, you can see. You do not put light under a bushel. And as he was saying this, he could look up over his shoulder to Safed in Israel, up on the hills of Galilee, which was known for, because of where it was placed up there, it was known for a city of light. And he could point up to that city and said, a city that's lit on the hill, you do not cover it. You can't cover it. You will see it at night. And Jesus tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. Friends, does the light of the world still continue today? Is there still light from God in the world today? The Bible talks about sin and darkness. Where is the light today? Well, in closing, I want to just share a couple of verses for you just to consider. I want you to consider this this morning, if you will. Second Corinthians. There are three passages in in Paul's letters that appeal to this. Second Corinthians chapter four. This this theme of light is an important theme throughout God's word. Second Corinthians chapter four and verses five and six. Second Corinthians chapter four, and the apostle Paul says says this: For we do not preach ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves, your servants, for Jesus said, For God, who said, quote, Let light shine out of darkness. Isn't that interesting? Not over darkness. Let light, God said, Let the light shine out of the darkness. He has made His light to shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Friends, does the light of Jesus Christ still burn today? We are the church, the what? Say it again. We are the church, the body of Christ. Is there still the light of Christ Shining in the darkness today. We are His body. We are Christ. We are His body. Paul talks about that. It's a spiritual truth, but it's a reality. He is the head. We are the body. And Paul says, we have this, this light has shined in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we face the Lord Jesus Christ, and we come to know Him. We, Dwight shared some, some stories of men who have come to know Christ, who you wouldn't expect that to happen. It happens all the time. It's happening right now. Men and women, boys and girls, children, young people are coming to Christ. And they are, and they are being introduced and they see and it's the glory of Christ in their lives. And then look what Paul says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God. And I want you to think here of these clay lamps that were filled with oil. That was a common type of lamp that was made out of pottery. It was clay filled with oil, a wick put in it. 
And he says, we have this light. We have this treasure, the light of God. But it's in these, it's in us. And we are, we are jars of clay. We're not gold. We're not silver. We're not bronze. We are jars of clay. And we all know that, right? Jars crack. Jars need repair. Um, but that's where we have this treasure of God's light. Philippians chapter 2. And in verse 14, we see this, uh, this, this imagery of light once again. Paul says this in verse 14 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Do everything. Do everything. Without complaining or arguing. Can you do that? Anybody complained? Well, thank you. (laughs) One guilty party here. (laughs) We often, Teresa and I often said, listen, we can go a whole day without complaining about something, okay? And I usually break the rule first, okay? Or be negative, alright? He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which what? You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out, not yourselves, as you hold out the word of life. Paul says, as the body of Christ, we have the opportunity and privilege to shine. Shine Jesus, shine, right? We sang this morning. We are to reflect that glory. We have the glory in jars of clay. And we should be that light in the world today of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the light is still here. It's the light of the glory of the good news of Jesus Christ that it shines through us. And finally, the last passage and gives us some very practical ways. How do you do this? How do you be the light in this world? Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and says this. You see this, this theme of darkness and light starts in Genesis and goes throughout the Bible. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light, this is interesting, the fruit, the outworking, the expected crop, When you plant a fruit tree, you expect a crop. Here it is. Here is what people should see in us. This is the fruit of having the light. Three things. All goodness. Goodness. Be good. Make good choices. Show God's goodness through His grace. Righteousness. We are righteous in Jesus Christ. We are proclaimed sinless through Christ. We do not live sinless, but God sees us in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, live that way. Do righteousness. We have opportunity this week to do righteous things, to live good. We have choices every day to do that. And then finally, the one, the third one, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Friends, these are the, this, this is the fruit, singular, of the light that burns in us that should come out of us. How? What is it? We are not walking around blinding anybody with our, with our physique. But people should see in us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we live, what we do, the choices that we make, that we should do goodness, righteousness, 
And we should live truthful. We should have integrity. And we should be willing and able and free to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is still the light in the darkness. This theme of light over darkness is throughout the scripture. Christ came as the light of the world, shined in the darkness, but he is gone. Is he? Is he gone? Are we not the body of Christ, alive here and now in the world? We have this privilege of being light, light in darkness. How will my life, could I light one person this week? Could I bring that light to one person? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, And we give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of life. Friends, be the light of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We are His body. Let us be light in this world, this day, and in the days to come. Now before we have our closing song this morning, I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Kevin and his wife Candace to come up. And uh, we want to, they want to share something with us today. And they've come to share this, and I want to give them the opportunity to do so. And you have the microphone, Kevin, and uh, share it. Uh, we want to share it God's heart. I'll take my Bible today. Thanks. Well, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. And uh, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say that. And uh, so I have something to share with you. It's not a coincidence. And you know that I love to tell stories. But I feel that I can't tell you the whole story right now. But I can give you a chapter of it. If I could read it to you. To my friends in ministry. On January 1st, 2020, I will have served your Korean in the capacity of youth pastor for a total of 16 years. Throughout our service together, I have been committed to the youth and to their families to make the mission statement of the youth department a reality. I have been thankful for the opportunity to minister to and to be ministered to as well by our teens and their families. I have also been blessed to witness students dedicate careers and volunteer time back into ministry settings after graduating from high school and from college. After prayerful consideration, I have determined that the Lord is calling me away from Brian. This is not a decision that has, which has been made lightly. Sixteen years is a long time of establishing and fostering relationships. Candace and I are in one accord that we have entered a new season in life in which, in which our ministry to Brian has come to a close. I have accepted the call into a new ministry. And with respect to my new congregation, I am awaiting their announcement before sharing publicly. I'm confident that God will continue to be faithful to us all as we rely upon Him for wisdom, grace, and vision. As new challenges come, God has continued to demonstrate His love and faithfulness. I look forward to hearing what this year will bring to the youth ministry and the broader ministry of Berean Bible Church as new leadership rises to minister to the youth and families of Berean. I'm thankful for the opportunity I've had for partnership in ministry. May God strengthen and bless Berean now and in the future. 
Thank you all. Thank you, Kevin. Candice, stay up here for a minute. We know it's a difficult uh, announcement for Kevin to read. It's heartfelt. And uh, Kevin and Candice, like 16 years, been part of our church family, been part of my family. And they will leave a legacy here. They are part of our story. And as I told Kevin, this story will continue. Lives will continue to be touched from his ministry for generations to come. We appreciate uh, Kevin's love for our young people and uh, the service and the heart uh, that he and Candace have given to us. And we just want to lift them up in prayer. Uh, Kevin will be serving for another month. He will be serving as our full-time youth pastor through the end of October. At the end of October, last Sunday, we will have a time to celebrate his ministry with us and to say goodbye as a congregation. But uh, he and Candace will continue to serve uh, through October. And we do pray, of course, for God's leading as we will be uh, seeking who God would have come and lead our youth. I would like to ask you to stand at this time. And I want us to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to have our stay standing for our closing song. And then, uh, of course, we'll be uh, sharing in this fellowship for our brother Walt for his birthday and uh, some time of refreshments. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for Kevin and Candace. We thank you for their family. We've watched their children grow. Uh, they have watched our children grow. And they have served our children and youth. Youth that are now in ministry. Youth that are serving the Lord in many places. And Father, we thank you for his love for you, his love for his family, and Candace's love for you and her family, Lord. We thank you for their uh, willingness to share your word and to share their lives with our youth, but also with us as a church family. They are part of our church family. They will always be part of our church family. Their legacy will go on and on. And Father, we just put them in your care. We know this is a difficult decision. They feel you leading. And Father, we want to pray for them and encourage them and ask your continued blessing on your lives. We know that there are many, many more lives that are going to be impacted by Kevin and Candace's ministry because they have put you first in their lives. Their desire is to serve you, and we know that you will honor that. And so I ask your blessing upon them and upon us as a church family at this time. In Christ's precious name, all of God's people can say together, Amen. Amen. We're going to dismiss you, and um, Rory, why don't you come with him? Come on. <laughs> it's great. Rory, Rory was about, how old were you, Rory, when you guys moved here? Four years old. My goodness, look at that. And uh, just to watch Kevin's kids grow up and uh, tell you to see Rory serving the Lord, loving the Lord, serving our young people, my grandkids. God bless you, Rory. Thank you for your service and your being part of this family as well. This is a sad, obviously. There's no way to get around that, right? But we also want to celebrate. 16 years in an era where the average life expectancy of youth pastors is about two years or less. <laughs> 16 months. 16 years is almost unheard of. So while we share the tears with them, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. That's what you guys want. Celebrate God's goodness and God's blessing in the lives that have been changed. And at the other end, we want to celebrate a dear life. Walt Bone, nine years old, has been part of this church since I was a kid. And we want to celebrate and rejoice. So let's go out and have a time refreshment. Let's have joy. 
mixed with our sadness, and let's celebrate. This is day one, Resurrection Sunday. Kevin, always, just so many times, I really appreciate, Pastor Jim, when you remind people that Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Day one of a brand new week. Let's celebrate and give God thanks with our sorrow. Let's have joy. I'm going to dismiss these guys first. Come on out and come and greet them. Walt, I hope you've been dismissed back there. And come out and enjoy. Like I told you, Walt says, there's enough donuts for you to have donuts for lunch today. And coffee and cocoa. You are dismissed. God bless you.